You're listening to the Godfather and Gorney podcast on Rivals.com with your host, the Godfather of recruiting, Mike Farrell. The magic underwear is not working, and that's not our fault. And national recruiting analyst, Adam Gorney. We're like a 1-800 number almost. That's right. Welcome into another edition of the Godfather and Gorney podcast. My name is Dave Barry, producer of the show, and I am joined by Mike Farrell out on the East Coast and Adam Gorney on the West Coast. We're coming off a weekend with a few bowl games. We had a big uh, flip commitment with Matt Corral from Florida to Ole Miss. Um, but first, we're going to talk about that Oregon versus Boise State bowl game, Mike. I know you want to talk about Royce Freeman. You know, he was saying that he wasn't going to play, and then we saw him on the sidelines. So I'll let you start with that. Yeah, he said he wasn't going to play, but then he decided to give a fire up pregame speech to his team, which I think is absolutely ridiculous and should have never been allowed to happen. So I guess this is the first criticism of Mario Cristobal that we have as the Oregon head coach. Um, You know, if a guy is not going to play, he's healthy, he's not going to play. The last person in the world you want out there, I don't care if you're a leader, being a leader is playing, is a guy who decides that I'm going to protect my pro future I'm not going to play with you guys. I'm not going to suit up with you guys. But I'll give you a nice pregame speech to get you ready. I think it screwed them up. I think they looked off from the start. They've been dealing with a lot of distractions with Willie Taggart leaving, Cristobal getting the job, uh, Royce Freeman deciding not to play, uh, assistant coaches not knowing whether they're going to be still at Oregon or going to Florida State. They did not do a good job of handling those distractions at all, and I think one of the distractions was Freeman. These guys shouldn't be on these trips, period. If you're not going to play, you don't get a trip to Vegas. You can sit home and you can watch it on TV because you're no longer part of the team. That's just my stance. Yeah, I think it was interesting. Um, you know, Everybody was fired up about Mario Cristobal, and this was his first game as head coach, and the team responded like a big flat tire. I mean, they were down 24 nothing late in the second quarter to Boise State. Um, and those teams recruit a lot of the same players, and Oregon usually wins out on all the top guys for sure. And this is a team that didn't look like they wanted to be there. Um, they were being penalized all over the field. They looked like they were sleepwalking through Vegas. It looked like Dave Barry on a Saturday morning in Vegas after a late Friday night. Uh-oh. And, uh, you know, and uh, you know, I don't, I don't think it had anything to do with Royce Freeman. Uh, I, I, I don't, I don't care if he plays in that bowl game, you know, he shouldn't risk injury or whatever, uh, for his NFL future to play in the Las Vegas bowl against Boise state. No one's going to remember that, but to have him on the sideline was, was stupid. He shouldn't have been there. No one's going to get fired up by a guy screaming and yelling at them for him to play. Um, I don't think there's any concern about Mario Cristobal long-term here, but his, you know, his opening game in the bowl game where he could have come out and pounded Boise State and really made a statement for this program moving forward uh, definitely didn't happen. It was a big dud, and, and Boise State rolled him. Yeah, and that was the only game that mattered. I mean, I'm sorry about all these bowl games, but they're just they're, – they're garbage. They're hot garbage. And, yeah. You know, Troy and North Texas and Western Kentucky and Georgia State and Marshall and Colorado State and Middle Tennessee and Arkansas, I couldn't care less. And, you know, the argument is – you know, on one side, you're rewarding mediocrity by allowing these bad football teams to play in bowl games. And on the other flip side is you get more football. So what are you complaining about? But I'm not really looking at these games seriously. I mean, 
you know, we do draft stuff. So if there's a guy out there, you know, who's, you know, somewhat high on the draft radar, I'll watch the game. But if there's not, you know, Middle Tennessee and Arkansas State, why would I watch that football game? I mean, did you watch any of these garbage games? You know, uh, sadly, yes. Uh, I was at a beautiful wedding in Sacramento over the weekend. It was uh, something I'll never forget. And, uh, you know, the the other people who aren't taking these games very seriously, at least early on, is Vegas because uh, four of the five underdogs won outright. Uh, Western Kentucky was six-point favorites. They lost by 10. Oregon, seven-point favorites, lost by 10. Colorado State, three-point favorites, lost by three. And Arkansas State, three-point favorites, lost by five. So, uh, you know, Vegas doesn't seem to be caring about these early bowl games. It's so watered down. And, yes, you know, if there's a football game on, look, I'm going to watch it. I don't care who's playing, and it's a bowl game, so I'll get interested in it a little bit while I sit my eggnog. lots of eggnog really guzzle eggnog who am i kidding and uh you know i'm gonna watch it but it's just so boring no half the teams don't care oregon really didn't care on saturday um it's hard to watch sometimes and you know on a regular saturday am i gonna watch middle tennessee state arkansas state no way because there's actually good games on but without any good games on i might tune it in until i turn to a college basketball game that interests me Oh, college basketball. That's boring. Nobody cares about college basketball. It's <laughs> even worse. Either. I mean, you know, listen, March I'll watch, but I won't watch. But I'm looking at the slate of games coming up, and it's just like Akron and Florida Atlantic and Louisiana. You know, maybe I'll watch Florida Atlantic to see if Lane Kiffin does anything crazy. Louisiana Tech, SMU. Um, I'll tell you what, though. You know, the, the talk of this week, and we'll get to it very quickly, is the early signing period. My phone... <laughs> will not stop. My email will not stop. Now yeah. it's it's Monday, right? So all these newspaper guys and all these radio guys and all these podcasters are all realizing, whoa, we got an early signing period coming up. Let's bother Farrell yeah. and get his take on it. His boring, same old, same old take. Uh, so we can get some quotes in here. But it is ridiculous. Like it's it's more so than signing day, and signing day usually from morning of you know signing day to evening. I'm doing radio and I'm doing newspaper interviews, and and that usually starts about a week before. But I'm getting more requests about this early signing period than I do uh, anything else, and we'll get to that. Yeah, and all of them are, and all of them that I've gotten are, what the hell's gonna happen? Not tell me about this kid or that kid or this class or this class. It's what is this? What who who does it benefit? What's going to happen? And is it going to be a complete disaster? Which makes it's for not, very uh, boring articles. But, right. I mean, listen. If the, if you're asking me what's going to happen, and my answer to you is I don't know because it's never happened before. Yeah. You're writing a very boring <laughs> article. So, and most of them are that question. It's the same boring question. So, so that'll continue yeah. to happen. Uh, I wanted to talk about Arizona State while we're in the Pac-12 and Oregon's dud of a game. I mean, this is bad. Um, nobody wants to coach with Herm Edwards. That's pretty much what it comes down to. And this hire is just unbelievably ridiculous in every way, shape, or form. So Billy Napier takes the Louisiana job, uh, Louisiana Lafayette, or whatever they're calling it nowadays. Uh, defense coordinator leaves for personal reasons, and those personal reasons you have to assume Phil Bennett saying, I'm not being a part of this nightmare. Um, 
I don't know who Herm Edwards is going to get to coach with him. I don't know who he's going to hire as offensive defensive coordinators. I don't know how he's going to recruit. But Arizona State is now officially, to me, the biggest dumpster fire in college football. Yeah, they only have 10 commits left. Um, a lot of those kids are going to sign early, but only one four-star. And, and yes, it is turning into a dumpster fire, and it, it has to be rectified quickly here because the rest of the conference is is doing much better. And, um, you know, we've talked about this before. He's in his mid-60s. He has a losing record in the NFL. He hasn't coached in nearly a decade, has very limited college experience at, at all. None of these kids were even 10 years old the last time he coached. Um, they don't know, really know who he is. They know him from ESPN. Um, so now coaches are leaving. Uh, you know, I think it's going to be an issue. Last week we discussed and laughed about him making fun of their own uniforms, not knowing the Sun Devils, all those kinds of things. Um, this is not a guy who I see in five years being nearly 70 years old, making Arizona State one of the top programs uh, in the Pac-12 and a wanted destination. And, and even if he does, uh, they're going to be looking for another coach. I mean, how long can he coach? So he came in with the wrong mentality that, you know, you know, kind of like a drill sergeant mentality does not work in college football unless you're a proven winner, uh, especially in the Pac-12 where, uh, you know, kids like to be massaged a little bit uh, during the recruiting process. And you're not only dealing with kids here and uh, you have seven on seven coaches who are very involved in kids recruitments. Uh, does Herm Edwards know who the top seven on seven programs are in California, which is very, very important for going in? I mean, Nick Saban stopped by, uh, you know, some some gyms and some houses. Urban Meyer was in Armand Hawkins's house last week. That never used to happen. They would only deal with high school coaches. But now they're they're They know that to get these kids, they have to deal with the high school coaches and the seven on seven coaches because of the influence factor. I don't see Herm Edwards being that kind of guy wanting to talk to seven on seven coaches and what people call handlers and all those kinds of things. It just looks bad, and now coaches are, are jumping ship. So Lovey Smith last year was clearly the worst hire um, for similar reasons, although he doesn't have the same personality as Herm Edwards. This year it's Herm Edwards. Last week I did my my top ten worst hires, at least in the, since I've been following college football, not following but covering it professionally and, and making the, the oodles and oodles of money that I make. Um, <clears throat> you know, so <laughs> – I had Derek Dooley at the top, and if you want to find this, you can't find it on Rivals anymore because it's dead and buried. You can Google bad hires, comma, Mike Farrell, comma, three-point stance, and then you'll find it. Um, but it was kind of fun to write because I went through every program, uh, you know, in probably a 15- to 20-year window and tried to come up with the worst hires that, that I knew weren't going to work out at the time. And it's not like I'm Nostradamus. These weren't difficult to figure out that Ed Orgeron was a bad hired old Miss or Charlie Strong wasn't going to work out at Texas. But I got Dooley and Hoke at number one and number two. So look at the list. Who's too low on here for you? Well, what I found first, what I found interesting is the same schools keep popping up Tennessee and Michigan. Yeah, they have two, <laughs> I mean, each, they have, two each. They have Notre really Dame bungled two, some coaching searches. Uh, Notre Dame has Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. Um, but you could put, uh, I'm surprised you didn't put Lane Kiffin on Tennessee on this list. One year, there are some rumors that he really didn't try to win the Florida game. He just tried to keep it close. 
Uh, he got literally uh, thrown out of town. Uh, people were chasing him. You know, people were yelling things at him after his press conference, you know, after he told the team that he was leaving and his players were standing around watching and I think they were burning couches and that was a complete disaster and it wasn't exactly like he was a knockout winner in, in Knoxville. Uh, Lane, Hy- Lane Kiffin at USC could be on this list. He literally got fired on a tarmac at LAX. So, I mean, that, that's pretty good. I think someone who's um, too high on this list is Ed Orgeron at oh. Ole Miss. I think he should be one or two. He was an utter disaster there. He admits he was a disaster, and now he admits that he never really wanted to be there, that he wanted to be at LSU the whole time. So I think that was a really, really bad hire. Rich Rod at Michigan never really fit. Um, and then Jim McElwain, uh, you know, two two SEC East championships, and he gets fired because he lied or somehow fabricated or talked, you know, above his head about death threats uh that that got him fired so and mike riley probably should be higher he never was a really good fit at nebraska that never really made sense it never took off um you know we talked about you know their good recruiting while he was there it was average it was middling in the big 10 so those were some of the bad ones uh that i see really kind of just looking yeah, at guys who didn't quickly. make the list uh randy Edslett, maryland i mean i could go bob diaco at uconn i could go into those programs but I'm really not going to. I, I didn't want to go, um, you know, group of five, and I didn't want to really narrow it down to, like, really bad hires at really bad programs that really never win. But um, Edsel, Ron Prince at Kansas State was a thought of mine. Uh, he was a pretty bad choice. Al Golden at, at uh, Miami, as well as Randy Shannon at Miami, although Randy Shannon at the time didn't look like a bad choice. I mean, he was going to recruit South Florida again and bring the U back to the U. It just didn't work out. Al Golden didn't really fit. Jim Bunting at UNC was pretty bad. Mark Helfrich at uh, Oregon it wasn't bad, but he didn't make the list because it wasn't bad because they were keeping it within the program itself. It just turned out to be a disaster. Uh, but you look at this, and a lot of these are recent. You know, Riley and McElwain were hired right around the same time. Butch Jones, I think, a year before. Um, some of these, Charlie Strong right around the same time um, as Butch Jones. It, these are recent hires that are just awful. Um, you know, so four of my 10 have come within the last four or five years, which tells you a little bit something. Um, but it was fun to put together. And really, Lovey Smith and Herm Edwards were the inspiration for this article itself. Which, so thanks to them. <laughs> and I'm sure there'll be another horrible hire next year. Um, and these guys, those two guys could make the list. But again, is Arizona State important enough? And certainly, bigger question, is Illinois important enough to actually put them on the list? I mean, the only program here that's not a blue blood, in, in my opinion, that I did was Ole Miss because he went 3-21 and at Orgeron, went 3-21 and in the SEC, which is really hard to do. Um, even in, in the SEC, it's hard to win only three out of 24 games. But Tennessee, Michigan, Notre Dame. Florida, Nebraska, all big-time programs with really bad hires. And I thought about also guys that shouldn't have been fired, and I don't know if I'm going to do it or not, but Les Miles comes to mind. Uh, Philip Fulmer comes to mind. Uh, Bo Pelini comes to mind, although if they didn't fire Bo Pelini, they would have never hired Mike Riley. They never would have got superhero Scott Frost. Um, But still, he won nine games every year pretty much 
at Nebraska. Ralph Friedgen was the ACC coach of the year and got fired. Uh, that, that was kind of interesting. Yeah. I mean, at Nebraska, Mike, you can make an argument that two of their last three hires, uh, Frank Solich, had a tremendous run there after Tom Osborne, and they fired him. And then Bo Pelini, uh, you know, if if it wasn't for his attitude, personality, demeanor, uh, off-field rants, talking, telling uh, people to go f themselves on on hidden camera. Uh, you know, he would still be the coach there because he he did win and games. Bill Callahan in was another one that I thought about putting on this list as well. So it was kind of like, do I put Riley or do I put Callahan? But Riley was just a bad hire. It was just like, you know, you're looking for a guy to replace someone who wins nine games. Yes, you're looking for the opposite demeanor, and you got that. But you're also looking for someone who, you know, can win. And and his record at Oregon State, yeah. which is probably one of the top three hardest places in Power Five to win, it wasn't stellar, um, you know. Uh, but he was still a good coach there. But I don't think anybody really expected the Riley era to be a success. And, you know, when you look at some of these head coaches that are being hired now, you know, do you really expect, as you've mentioned, the Willie Taggart era to be a successful one at Florida State? You just don't know. Uh, Mario Cristobal, we've already talked about. Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee, is that going to be a success? You know, you look at some of these mid-range hires that I gave like B's, and you could picture in three or four years these guys being gone. Um, and then you get down to the Chad Morrises and Matt Lukes and Jonathan Smiths of the world that, uh, you know, typical of those programs I, I think those guys are going to be gone probably after four or five years they'll just get a little bit longer because there's not as much pressure at those programs because they're not blue bloods so but always interesting to talk about you know debacles and 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 you know speaking of debacles you know we've got Matt Corral making his third commitment third and final commitment third you know third USC commitment. commit uh, they essentially dropped him uh, from all reports. Then he committed to Florida, and it looked like that was the fit. That was a really good fit. Um, you know, they need a quarterback at Florida uh, more so than anything else. But then Dan Mullen gets hired, and we're not sure if Corral was processed or if he decided to decommit on his own. Uh, ends up at Ole Miss. And, you know, the, the physical talent is there, just like Chad Kelly. Physical talent is there. You just have to worry about everything else and um, and take it from there. So what's your prediction of the Mackerel era at Ole Miss? What do you see? You, you know the, the situation well, better than anybody. Yeah, and, and, and here's what I would have to say. And from an outsider's perspective, look at it this way. He decommitted from his dream school uh, that won the Rose Bowl that would have basically an opening for him this year because Sam Darnold is leaving. Um, uh, so they parted ways, and then he committed to Florida, uh, which absolutely needs a quarterback. They hired a new coach, and they parted ways, and he went to a school that just got whacked with a bunch of sanctions, hired a coach no one knows, uh, plays in a division where they can't win, and so that's telling. I mean, why why did he do this? Um, I think you could read between the lines uh, that he's been, you know, parted ways with two schools, which you know could easily be where he ended up. 
he was scrambling late in the process to, to, to find a school that would essentially take him. Um, in terms of on the field, very athletic kid, has all the confidence in the world, an excellent arm, can make all the throws, um, but not a great decision maker. I saw him throw four interceptions in one game this year, one that basically you know finalized the game. Uh, he had receivers. He had, you know, Jalen Hall, Cameron McDonald, the Markham brothers. He had talent around him. Um, but I think, you know, he needs to, it, when it comes to Matt Corral, he needs to mature and focus on what's important to him. And that should be football and going to class and being a success. And so you wonder, is this, you know, a kid who USC didn't want to deal with, who Florida didn't want to deal with. And so, uh, you know, Ole Miss scrambling for any kind of talent in what will be a career of being under sanctions and low numbers and all those kinds of things. Um, I, I wish the best for the kid, but, um, you know, he's burned some bridges already. And so he, he needs to go to Oxford and really focus and hopefully, you know, this will be the turning point in which he does that. Another, uh, and, and just to add on to this, another California quarterback, Adrian Martinez, yeah. has done the same thing. He's been committed to two other schools, but it was a completely different situation. He committed to Cal at, under Sonny Dykes. Sonny Dykes got fired. He decommitted from Cal. He committed to Tennessee under Butch Jones. Uh, Butch Jones got fired. He ended up at Nebraska. As that was going on, Nebraska wanted him. Missouri wanted him. Other schools were getting involved late because, you know, he's a, he's a really good kid. Uh, you know, he's not, a, he's, he hasn't been, you know, had problems in the past. And so, uh, you know, that's a completely different situation. Quarterbacks decommit and move around and do all those kinds of things. But it's the way that this has played out over the last year that, um, you know, has really been telling. He's trans, Matt Corral's transferred high schools once already. And now he's decommitted from yeah, two schools Chad and ended Kelly up at Ole Miss. comparison is a very interesting one, so it'll be fun fun to follow the careers because Chad Kelly did have obviously some success at Ole Miss. He committed to Clemson originally, uh, didn't work out at Clemson, uh, got booted there, went JUCO route, ended up at Ole Miss, had a you know solid career at Ole Miss. Was I believe the last draft pick, and I don't think he's in the NFL now, uh, but I'm I'm not sure. He could be on a practice squad someplace, but. But we'll see. But, you know, in Corral's defense, uh, you know, Jim McElwain did get fired, and maybe that was the relationship he had there. But you'd think with Dan Mullen, you know, with what he's done with, with Tebow and Dak Prescott and Fitzgerald and guys like that, he would be like a quarterback's dream as far as the next head coach at Florida. Um, so, and again, you hear, right. you hear, we hear both sides of things because we've got sources everywhere. <clears throat> Publicly, you hear one side of things. You know, so, you know, a kid decommits, we know if it's mutual or if he was processed or, you know, anything like that, whereas the public knows he just decommitted, you know. So we'll see. It, it's I, I would say in this class, he is the most polarizing recruit. I, I think you'd agree because he plays quarterback, because he's so talented, but because he's had these bumps along the road. In three or four years, we're going to look back at Matt Corral and we're either going to say he's Chad Kelly, which isn't bad as far as career-wise, you know, but doesn't live up to his NFL potential and there's too many question marks around him for NFL, NFL teams to take a chance. Or, you know, maybe he's Baker Mayfield, 
I mean, maybe he's that guy. Yeah. You know, Baker Mayfield certainly, you know, committed to Texas Tech as a walk-on. Didn't get along with Cliff Kingsbury, even though he had a great freshman season. Transferred to Oklahoma, has been in trouble and had problems, and, and but is a great, great quarterback, and his talent supersedes everything else. And that could be Matt Corral as well. Because I'll tell you, the first game of the season I saw Corral, he was unbelievable. Some of the throws he was making on the run were just NFL throws. And I know you've seen him. You know, we saw the yep. four-interception game and all that. Other times he just looks lost or he's trying to do too much or force the ball. But there's talent there. <clears throat> there's a ton of talent there. It's the reason why he was a five-star quarterback for us at one point in time. So I'm going to be very interested. I think Ole Miss is getting, if they're willing to roll the dice, they're getting a great quarterback commitment for them, especially losing Shea Patterson. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's the thing. And they're a long line of quarterbacks. And we can go down the list of guys who, uh, like you said, had bumps along the road and then straightened it out. Um, Jameis Winston at Florida State was hardly a model citizen. Um, you know, the Heisman Trophy winner is on tape getting tackled by the Fayetteville police last year. So it's not like you need to be a choir boy to be a successful quarterback. Um but that's where, you know, Corral really needs to focus is on the field because talent-wise, it is definitely there. He is incredibly athletic. Uh, for a kid who's not huge, he has a surprisingly strong arm. It pops off his hand. He can make dynamic throws and big-time plays, um, but he just really needs to focus in on the field, stop with some of the off-the-field shenanigans, and, just, and, and if he does, um, he could have superstar ability. So... I'm wishing the best for him. I, you know, I, I think his recruitment has mirrored kind of, you know, how things have gone in the last couple of years of maybe some coaches not wanting to deal with him. Uh, but if, but if Ole Miss is the place for him, if he can settle in there and have a good career, there's no question he has the ability to step in there and win an SEC job really early in his career, and maybe that will catapult him and propel him. Uh, to really focus and in and, and clarify, kind of you know, Jameis Winston was accused of sexual assault. That's not the case with Matt Corral. Baker Mayfield was running from the cops. That's not the case with Matt Corral. You know, th that's why I, I, I mentioned right. Chad Kelly because Chad Kelly bounced around high schools uh, during his high school career as well. And, and the maturity was the big issue. And he went to Clemson and he made some mistakes and, and ended up finding a home at Ole Miss and was by all accounts there a good citizen and, and a good team leader. So maybe, you know, this can be the stop for Corral that, uh, that brings out the best in him, you know, because he has had to transfer schools once already, as you mentioned that, I don't know, it's just, it's so hard to rank a kid like this for us, but talent wise, he's a five-star talent. I mean, there's no doubt about it. He's a five-star talent. It's just, there's everything else around him that you, you wonder about. So let's move off of, of Matt Corral and move on to some early signing day predictions. But also let's talk about the replacement for Matt Corral at Florida. It could be Emory Jones, um, you know, a guy who visited Florida this weekend and then went to Florida State straight from there. Um, nobody really knows what he's going to do. He's committed to Ohio State. He was linked to Alabama. Now he's linked to Florida and Florida State. He's going to announce his decision on Wednesday and sign with one of those schools. Um, this is an extremely important quarterback commitment for the Gators. They need to get this one right. 
because you can't start off with a guy who flames out. Um, and I'm not sure Emory Jones was a five star, dropped to a four star for us. Uh, you know, on field was was good, not great this season. Uh, but he could be one of the bigger decisions coming up. But the, there's a lot of five stars out there that are making decisions, and uh, I made my predictions. It's on the front of Rivals.com right now, and some of these were tough to pick. I mean, some were so easy, but I don't know if you disagree with any of them. I mean, like Jackson Carmen to Ohio State was pretty easy for me. Jamari Sawyer to Georgia was easy for me. I put the confidence level there for it, but Anthony yeah. Cook? You go figure out. You ask every source you can ask, and half of them will tell you LSU. Half of them will tell you Texas. And I don't even think the kid knows. I think he's going to figure it out when he puts pen to paper. Yeah, Anthony Cook has been an interesting one because he was planning to commit earlier, and it looked like it was going to be Ohio State, and then it looked because of some you know situations, it was going to be a, a school closer to home but not that close to home. Maybe LSU was going to win out. So like you said, Mike, on Anthony Cook, I, I don't know if he knows right now. I don't know if he's 100% sure what his confidence level is on, on what school. If Texas gets him, Tom Herman has done a phenomenal job um, after a very average season, honestly, uh, to, to wrap up all the top talent in Texas. And I'm talking about all the top talent. They would have, I believe, the top five players in the state committed. Um you know, I think, uh, you know, he has done a phenomenal job locking in those guys early. It, those guys, none of those guys have really wavered off of that. Um, and there's some talented players there. If he can get Cook, BJ Foster, defensive back, probably a superstar down the road. I love Brennan Eagles at receiver, Jalen Green, Caden Stearns, top six players, Alvante Woodard. Um, so I think he's done a phenomenal job. I don't think they've had the top player in the state commit to them since 2011, which is hard to believe um, because Texas kids usually stay home or, or local, but Florida state has done a better job getting top kids uh, in Texas than Texas has. And a lot of that has to do with Charlie strong, not really recruiting the state all that well. But if Anthony cook ends up at Texas, that's huge for them to have him and BJ Foster committed um, together. So I don't know if he knows in terms of Emory Jones, it would be huge for Dan Mullen who, you know, Florida wasn't really a major player late for him. It looked like he was going to flip. If And if he was going to flip, it would be to Alabama for sure. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if he can sell the, I coach Dak Prescott, I coach Nick Fitzgerald. I You know, what I did at Mississippi State, I could do for you here, make you a first-round draft pick. Um, you know, Nick Saban can't necessarily say that with his quarterbacks. And so it'll be interesting to see. Uh, what Dan Mullen can do. And also, because Willie Taggart is known to be such a great recruiter, um, we'll see if he can convince him to come to Florida State. Although that one seems like a stretch um, because they have DeAndre Francois coming back. Florida is a situation where you can step in immediately and, and compete for the starting job. Alabama necessarily isn't. Um, and Florida State, I would imagine, isn't. So I think the team trending here for Emory Jones yeah, would, I agree. would be Florida. Uh, but we'll see. You know, some fields and fields, fields locked up and they blew it. And, you know, now they've got a different guy who actually likes recruiting. Dan Mullen likes recruiting and he gets involved in it heavily. Uh, Jim McElwain did not like recruiting, was not a good recruiter. I think we all know that. And 
you know, they had Justin Fields wrapped up and, and they ended up blowing it because the head coach couldn't close the deal. So we'll see if Dan Mullen can close this out or if Taggart gets him uh, or if Alabama wins out. He'll be an interesting one to follow. Two others that were tough for me were Micah Parsons and Cade Mays. Uh, Micah Parsons, you know, a lot of people talking about him recommitting to Penn State. That's where I predict he's going to go. But he just took a visit to Georgia this weekend. Cade Mays was supposed to be a Clemson lean. He also took a visit to Georgia this weekend. Georgia is recruiting at the highest level. They're in the playoff. It's hard for these kids to say no. I mean, DeAndre Swift went down from Pennsylvania to Georgia. You know, he's in Parsons' ear. And then, you know, Mays, uh, you know, the big question is, he, he was a, a Tennessee commitment. Um, obviously, they're a bit of a dumpster fire, and I don't think he's going to shock the world and pull out a Tennessee hat. Even They're not even listed on his top three. Um, but does he want to play Tennessee every year? I guess is one of the questions, you know, uh, when he can go off to the ACC and pay, play for Clemson, which is in the playoff every year as well. So those two were tough, but I picked Clemson for Cade Mays and I picked Penn State for Parsons. The toughest was Bookie, um, Brendan Radley-Hiles, who I've just learned that Bookie, sorry, whatever. Bookie. Um, you know, it's just easier <laughs> to say that than it is Come to on, say Brendan Radley-Hiles, but... Uh, he, he's apparently not signing this week. I talked to somebody at IMG today. He's not signing this week. He's going to announce his announce his decision at the uh, Army Bowl, where uh, the Gordon dog will be chasing that story, um, and then just enroll after that. So I don't think he's going to be signing with anybody. But he was at Florida State with Jaden Woodby, who's an o- Ohio State commitment this weekend. Uh, really interesting you know, to see Florida State get those guys on late visits um, when neither was expected to show up there. So could Florida State get both of them? I don't know. These are two hard kids to read, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, very hard kids to read. They keep it close to the vest, and that's the interesting thing. Both of them talk a lot. You you can talk to them. They're very open to talking, but they don't really say anything. You can't get a good read. Uh, and so with Buki, I think UCLA would probably be a stretch. Um, I talked to a source this weekend who basically said if Demetrius Martin was still there, UCLA would be a big time player. Uh, thing for Paul Rhodes is what any kid dreams of doing. Um, Buki has known Demetrius Martin his whole life. Uh, he's known Paul Rhodes for maybe three days. So, uh, I don't know if coming home would be the biggest thing for him. He's originally from California. I don't know if that's really playing a factor for Buki more than anything is, uh, you know, being prepared for the NFL and, and, and that kind of future. Oklahoma is an interesting pick here um, because they're not exactly known as, a, you know, the top the, the, the top notch defense DBU type of school that he would be looking for. But his one, you know, basically one of his best friends, TJ Pledger, uh, they went to IMG together. TJ Pledger is committed to Oklahoma already. And, uh, you know, there's been some rumblings that Buki has told Oklahoma that they're probably the school to beat. Florida State's going to be interesting, though, because, um, you know, he can he can uh, go to a school where they they churn out, you know, top top notch defensive backs all the time. I don't think anybody really expected him to be there until later in the week. I think, uh, you know, his connection with Willie Taggart is growing. Uh, but that staff isn't filled out yet. And so I think that's going to be interesting and probably why he's delaying things to see how it plays out. I think it's smart to wait. 
Uh, there's no reason to hurry. Any of these schools will take him at any time. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I wouldn't be surprised. Don't don't count out USC here. Um, if things don't go the way he wants to, I think USC could get back involved um, and and watch out for USC later. As far as would be, um, this this to me is still an Ohio State USC battle. I think he visited Florida State to really just. It, it would, was a dream school growing up. He wanted to see the place. Again, the staff isn't filled out. I think that could be a little bit of a concern. Um, USC is pushing very, very hard. They never really backed off of him. Uh, I think that is playing a really, really big factor for him. He loves Ohio State. He loves what they've done, putting kids into the NFL. He loves that you know you can get on the field early or even late. You, you don't have to be a starter from day one there and, and still get to the NFL. But I think, you know, uh, you know, looking at USC, looking at the situation that they're going to have there, uh, you know, really, again, an emerging uh, national power, winning the Rose Bowl last year, winning the Pac-12 this year, being able to stay home. I think that's pulling him a little bit uh, well, as this gets that closer. He's sign. Uh, Buki is not going to sign, but Woodby did tell me that he's going to sign on Wednesday. So, uh yeah, he's he's planning to sign on Wednesday. Now, the, the other interesting thing is he had first considered uh, announcing at the Army game. And we know at the Army game, they're not going to put you on TV if you're just basically going to recommit to the school that you're already anybody, committed to. You have so, to be uncommitted, pretty much. Right. Right. So he is signing Wednesday. Um, for Florida State fans, I don't think you can take that as a positive or a negative. I think it's just that he's now decided on the school that he's going to choose and he wants to end it, go into army week signed somewhere. So he doesn't really have to talk about it all that much. Um, if I had to pick right now, I, 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 I think Wednesday we'll he signs see. with USC he's doing it late too. So uh, I think five thirty local time. So he's going to be a, a late night signee. And, uh, yeah. you know, I talked to, you know, a couple of recruits that were on the visit for Florida state and they, of course, you know, these are Florida state commitments. They think he's going to, choose Florida State, but I'm surprised he made the trip. You know, I thought he was going to visit USC on Friday, and then, you know, that's a long trip to make, but he flew, you know, all the way to Atlanta and connected and then got into Tallahassee and, you know, spent the time there. He's still there from what I know. He's supposed to leave on Monday, um, so that just shows he's definitely interested, and we'll see if Taggart can close him out, but you know, Ohio State, it's very odd for Ohio State to have so many guys. You know, Brenton Cox backed off his commitment. He's going to choose between Alabama and Georgia. Now you got Emory Jones. Uh, you got Josh Proctor, who's, you know, small percentage chance that he would uh, flip. But, you know, there's a lot of Ohio State guys, including Woodby, that are having second thoughts with this early signing period. Urban must hate the early signing period because this is – this is what would not happen, you know, you know, if there wasn't one. Urban would be able to take his time. He'd be able to get in there. Uh, again, you know, they had to play an extra week for the championship game, so he lost a week of recruiting there. Um, Urban is magical between the dead period and signing day. <clears throat> and now with this early signing period, he could end up losing his quarterback. He could end up losing – or one of his quarterbacks um, – and he could end up losing a five-star defensive back, and that's not like Ohio State at all. No, and, and uh, 
you know, they still have the number one recruiting class in the country. I would imagine that would drop if both uh, flipped somewhere else, but he's still recruiting incredibly, incredibly well. Um, you know, going into Florida and getting Tyreek Johnson late, getting Cameron Babb, going to Idaho, the, you know, you just don't go into Idaho and get whoever you want uh, with yeah. Tommy Togi. You don't, you don't go into <laughs> Idaho against the vandals or the vandals the vandals um they still have the number one recruiting class in the country urban will be fine uh but they're you're right this usually doesn't happen to ohio state there have been a lot of flips and a lot of kids looking around um it, it has been a little bit interesting in terms of that stuff but i think they'll be just fine so look at that we did a podcast and talked about recruiting actually We'll see if people are more interested in this. The problem is if they are more interested in us talking recruiting, <clears throat> after the early signing period, we've got three weeks of deadness uh, and not a lot to talk about. But we've also got not a lot to talk about on the college football side of things because we've got some pretty horrible bowl games. I mean, obviously, in a couple of weeks, we'll have really good bowl games to talk about. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how these new coaches, so I'm sure we'll talk about that next week after this signing day. We're not going to do one. I don't think, are we doing, well, we might do one later in the week. I'm not sure. I think, I think we should do one on Christmas. I, there's nothing uh, well, I would rather do more than spend <laughs> Christmas with the two of you. We could, uh, we could do one later in the week we and, and review early signing day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we could do one Thursday because most of the activity is going to happen on Wednesday and I think we'll probably have to because it, it is a signing day. So we'll probably have to do one on Thursday. But anyways, this one is just scintillatingly interesting. So we can we can wrap it up. I think we've given everything we've got to give on this one. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll stop it there. Make sure to stay tuned to Rivals.com. Like the guys mentioned, we're going to be covering all over, or we will be all over the coverage for this early signing period, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. So stay tuned to rivals.com for that make sure to follow us on twitter at rivals mike for, for mike farrell and at adam gorney for mr gorney the gorn dog so with that we'll get out of here and we will see you guys later in the week